Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather together as your people, um, to experience your presence, to love each other, um, to bless each other with edification. We pray that the sermon would be edifying and that we would gain wisdom from it, Lord. We pray that uh, you would teach us that we need to lead our hearts and how to lead our hearts. Uh, we pray that you would empower us, Lord, and you would give us confidence in your strength to help us. We thank you for your grace and amen. All right, so I am very excited about this new series we're starting. We are starting a new series called How to Lead Your Heart. Um, the goal for this series, it's a, it's a big goal. I'm going to give it an attempt. Uh, this series is an attempt at basically being a foundationally comprehensive training course at being able to lead your heart. And we'll get into what that means. But when I say foundationally comprehensive, I mean my goal for this series, if a person goes through it and really listens and pays attention and thinks it through and applies it, they should be competent to be able to lead their heart in general. That's the goal. That's a high goal. We'll see if we get there. Um, but this is going to be an important series. So please listen and listen well. Each sermon in this series is going to have at least one thing you need to do. I might word them as habits. I'm still thinking about it. Uh, but at least one thing you need to do in order to gain the overall skill of being able to lead or manage your heart well. I'm going to try to be a bit more thorough and um, go a little slower than I usually do. So this series will probably be a, a longer one than I normally have. But anyways, the series is called How to Lead Your Heart, and today, part one, is called You Were Called to Lead Your Heart. So let's get into the premise. Uh, the premise is the title. You, as a Christian, are charged by God as responsible for leading your heart. You, as a Christian, are charged by God as responsible for leading your heart. If you only get one thing out of this sermon, if you get that and really remember it and start to see life that way, then this sermon accomplished its goal. You are charged by God is responsible for leading your heart. And you need to have an attitude of responsibility about it. So there's a few key verses I want to look at that show this idea. Let's look at uh, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Let's also look at Proverbs 23, 19. Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Solomon is telling his son to lead his heart, to direct his heart. The Proverbs tell us that we should learn to lead our hearts. We should direct our hearts in the way. Now let's look at Luke uh, 12, 33 and 34. Jesus speaking. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. 
Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. Reading a bit deeper into it or just thinking about it a bit, Jesus is also communicating we should be directing our hearts. If you're trying to store up treasure in heaven for the sake of your the desires of your heart being there, you're manipulating or leading or directing your heart. So, you know, the scriptures point out we are to lead and direct our hearts. But heart can be somewhat of a vague term in English, so I need to define what I mean by that. So for the purposes of this series, we're defining heart like this. Your heart is the part of you that has beliefs, desires, intentions, and emotions. Beliefs, desires, intentions, and emotions. So let's look at those uh, individually briefly and some verses. Uh, Your heart has beliefs. It's the part of you that has beliefs. Let's look at Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I do want to point out beliefs aren't just intellectual thoughts. Sometimes we intellectually think something, but we don't actually have enough confidence in it to act on it. If you don't have enough confidence in something that you would actually act on it, you don't believe it. What you believe is what you act on. If you want to know whether or not you believe something, think about whether or not you act like it's true. Do you make your decisions as if it were true? If you make your decisions as if it were true, you believe it. But your beliefs are in your heart. The next thing I want to point out, desires. Your heart has desires. Your desires are in your heart. Let's look at Romans 10, verse 1. Paul speaking of the Israelites. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He says his heart's desire. Just pointing out that the heart has desires. Your desires are in your heart. Let's also look at Proverbs 6.25. Solomon speaking of the adulterous woman. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Not only does this verse point out, you know, you have desires in your heart, but you should, be, you should learn to direct your desires. Solomon is telling his son, do not desire this. Do not desire the adulteress's beauty. The implication is he should be directing his desires. We should learn to direct our desires. We shouldn't be letting them direct us. Intentions. The heart has intentions. Your intentions are in your heart. Let's look at Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Let's also um, look at Acts 18 uh, through Acts 8, 18 through 23. Uh, now when Simon saw the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, "Give this authority to me as well, so everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit." But Peter said to him, "May your silver perish with you because you thought you could acquire the gift of God with money." You have no share in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to God that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of unrighteousness. So your heart is a part of you that has beliefs, desires, and intentions, and it also has emotions. Let's look at Proverbs 14, verse 10. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares in its joy. Let's look at Proverbs 15, 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. But by sorrow of heart, or by sadness of heart, the spirit is crushed. So joy, sadness. The scripture also speaks of hearts having anxiety. Let's look at Isaiah 35, verse 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So, for the purposes of this series, your heart is the part of you that has beliefs, desires, intentions, and emotions. And you need to learn to direct those. You need to learn to lead those. A lot of us, you know, it tends to make sense. We tend to get it that we should direct or lead our beliefs or intentions. But a lot of us don't realize that we should be leading and directing our desires and our emotions. We looked briefly at how the Bible teaches or implies that we should be directing our desires. We should be leading our desires. It also teaches that we should lead and direct our emotions. Let's look at Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let's also look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The scriptures teach that we should lead and direct our emotions. We shouldn't be led and directed by them. The teaching of the world is that you should follow your heart. That's a bad idea. We will look at why in just a second. But again, I'll be repeating this throughout the series, but it's important to understand the definition. Um, for the purposes of this series, your heart is the part of you that has beliefs, desires, intentions, and emotions. All right, the first thing I want to talk about today is that everything in your life flows from your heart. That's what Proverbs 4.23 says. 
we're going to think a bit more about what that means. Um, let's look at some scriptures related to that. We already looked at Proverbs 4.23, so we won't turn to it again. Let's look at Luke 6.45. Jesus speaking. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let's also look at Mark 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the hearts of people, come evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery. Everything in your life flows from your heart, and um, I want to talk about two things that I think that that means. Number one, everything you say and do, everything you choose, comes out of your heart at the end of the day. How does that happen? How can that be? How does that work? So your beliefs, your desires, your intentions, and emotions all affect how you make decisions. So much so that there isn't a single choice you make that isn't influenced by or isn't because of at least one of those four things. If there's something you don't believe is worth choosing or you don't believe it's worth doing and you also don't desire to do it and you also have no intention of doing it and you also don't feel like doing it, are you going to do it? No. You literally won't. So, there is no decision you ever make that wasn't influenced or caused by at least one of those four things. Your beliefs, your desires, your intentions, your emotions. So every single choice you ever make is determined by what's in your heart. That's why it's very important that we learn to lead and direct our hearts. Every single choice you ever make comes from your heart. Let's read Luke 6:45 again. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So every single decision in your life comes from your heart. That's one way in which, you know, your life flows from your heart. But there's another thing. Um, I think your quality of life is determined by your heart in a good sense. Not entirely, but it's hugely affected by what's in your heart. Your quality of life is hugely affected by what's in your heart. Let's look at Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So what kind of desires you have, which desires you have and how much you have them will affect your happiness. Because if you want things that you're going to get, you'll be happier than if you want things you're not going to get. Contentment isn't about having what you want, it's about wanting what you have. Let's look at Proverbs 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. 
A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. Have you ever met someone whose heart is completely ruled by anxiety? How happy are they? Not much. What about someone whose heart is completely ruled by anger? They're probably even less happy. What about someone who's completely ruled by jealousy? That really affects your quality of life. You don't want to be ruled by those things in your heart. What about someone who's overruled by their desires? Someone whose heart is overruled by their desires for drugs or food or alcohol or sex or video games or spending time on Netflix. That messes up your quality of life too. We call those addictions. And addictions aren't very good for your happiness. So what's in your heart, not only does it determine every decision you ever make, it also, in and of itself, greatly affects your quality of life. If you become good at controlling your thoughts, your desires, your intentions, and your emotions, and you're actually leading them, it'd be much easier to be a happier person. So everything in your life flows from your heart. That's point number one. The next thing I want to talk about, the next idea I want us to realize, managing and reforming your heart is the central issue of sanctification. It is the central issue of growth in the Christian life. I've got a few things I want to point out for this. Number one, the heart is where the problem of sin really lives. Let's look at Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the human race. That's us. Until the Spirit changes us. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Let's look at Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they'll both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked? Anything that you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. That's what defiles you. 
Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. The heart is where the problem of sin really lives. Not only that, but God's solution to our sin problem is to change our hearts. This is throughout the scripture. God's solution to our sin problem is to change our hearts. Let's look at Hebrews 10, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Let's look at Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God says he will write his law on our hearts. Let's look at Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Let's keep going. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. God speaking to the Israelites. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. I think it's pretty clear. God's solution to our sin problem is to change our hearts. That's been the plan throughout the scriptures. So the heart is where the problem of sin really lives. God's solution to our problem of sin is to change our hearts. Not only that, but our heart is what God really wants from us. Let's look at Psalms 51, verses 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, a repentant heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Let's look at Deuteronomy 5, 28 and 29. Moses speaking to the people of Israel. The Lord heard the requests you made to me, and he said, I have heard what the people said to you, and they are right. Oh that, 
Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they would fear me and obey my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. What God wants from us is our hearts. He wants hearts that are committed to him. So managing and reforming your heart is the central issue of sanctification. We looked at verses, but I also want to give a few reasons. Reason number one, the only way a person can really change is if their heart changes. If you don't get to the, the root of the issue in a person's heart, other issues will just come up in its place. Change that isn't heart deep doesn't get to the root of the issue. Change has to be heart deep. You can't change a racist by outlawing racial slurs. Even if they stop saying them, they're still going to hate other people in their heart. You can't stop any sin just with laws because people will still want to commit it in their heart and they'll find other ways to do it that you didn't outlaw. You can't keep people from being physically abusive by merely having good laws, which we should do, because they'll find ways to get around them and even if they don't, the abuse, the hatred, the anger that's in their heart is just going to come out other ways. Change that isn't heart deep won't last. It won't be real. And behavior modification is easily undone and typically falls apart on its own anyways. Parents, can I get an amen? <laughs> so that's the easiest example is children. You know, you, you can bribe your children to behave well by giving them candy. And tomorrow, what do they do? No candy? Poor behavior. The change isn't heart deep. It won't last. It falls apart on its own. That's why people who cycle in and out of addictions cycle in and out of addictions. Their hearts don't change. Their behavior does. And change that doesn't come from the heart is short-lived. It falls apart on its own often. Employers might, or managers, like if you have lazy employees and you're trying to get them to work hard by making productivity rules, as soon as they're not there to enforce them, they're just going to go back to what they really want to do in their hearts. Change that isn't heart deep, doesn't last, and isn't even real change. So reason number one, why I think it's, extra central, the issue of managing and reforming your heart is central to sanctification, is that change that isn't from the heart isn't real. But number two, heart change is what God values because obedience that isn't from the heart is dishonoring to God. Obedience that isn't from the heart is dishonoring to God. Let's look at Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let's look at 1 John 3.15. Anyone who hates 
another brother or sister, is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. If we only obey God externally but not in our hearts, that's dishonoring to God. Let's look at Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of man. That's severe. In vain do they worship me. Like, that should hit hard. God says about if our hearts are far from him, if they're not really with him, their worship of me is a waste. If we're still lords of our hearts and not God, But begrudging disobedience, no, begrudging obedience is disrespectful to God. You know, if my boss tells me to not watch TV at work, and I obey begrudgingly, and I'm not happy about it, and I still look for other ways to watch videos and slack off, is that honoring to my boss? No. I might be technically obeying, but it shows that I don't honor my boss. I don't care in my heart. That's dishonoring. That's disrespectful. Love that isn't from the heart isn't honoring. The classic example I love to give that I got from John Piper, um, you know, if a man buys flour for his wife on their anniversary, he's like, oh, thanks, honey. No problem. It's my duty. She's not going to be honored by that. (laughs) He needs to want to do it from his heart. Love that isn't from the heart isn't honoring. Love that's begrudging isn't honoring. He's supposed to say, it's my delight. But it's clear clear throughout the whole Bible, front to back, cover to cover, that God wants us to be wholly devoted to him in our hearts. So, kind of the main takeaway from this sermon is that you need to have an attitude of responsibility for managing your heart. That's the next point. You need to have an attitude of responsibility. You should have this attitude. It's my job to manage my heart and to direct it towards submission to God, and I am going to be intentional about it. That's the attitude we're to have as Christians. It's my job to manage my heart and to direct it towards submission to God, and I'm going to be intentional about it. And the rest of this series, we'll get into more depth and detail about how to do that, but you've got to get point number one before we can move on. Point number one is to have an attitude of intentionality and responsibility. It's my job to direct my heart towards submission to God, and I'm going to be intentional about it. You have to have that attitude. You're called to have that attitude. God does indeed call you to be responsible for managing and directing your heart toward him. Proverbs 4.23, which we looked at earlier, it says to watch your heart. The word watch here is an action word. 
Some translations translate it, guard your heart or keep your heart. Watch, guard, keep, preserve. You don't watch over your heart like you watch paint dry or like you watch grass grow. You keep your heart. You guard your heart. You watch over your heart. You oversee your heart. You manage your heart. That's the sense. That's the sense of the word in the verse. You are called to manage your heart. So we need an attitude of responsibility and intentionality. God does indeed change our hearts, and only he can, but he wants us to be involved in the sanctification process. The locus classicus for that, or the key verse that I always go to to show that God wants us to be involved in the sanctification process, is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is in the process of changing our hearts, but we are to be involved. My main goal for this sermon is just to communicate how important it is that you learn to lead your heart. It's a skill you learn, and you should want to learn it. If you learned to effectively lead your heart, it'd be super beneficial. It'd be good for you. You'd be way better off for it. Your quality of life would go up because you would be happier because you could direct your desires and emotions in a way that's better for you than they would probably naturally go. Your emotional life would be better and more pleasant. You'd live a godlier lifestyle and have a closer relationship with God. You'd have better relationships with others. You would be competent and prepared to overcome addictions, struggles, and bad habits. You'd be equipped to tackle struggles with motivation or to make it easier to succeed at pursuing goals in life. Like so many good things come out of learning to direct your heart. And on top of that, it's the central issue of sanctification. Like this is super important. You have to learn to direct your heart. This is huge. This would be groundbreaking if you aren't already in the habit of directing your heart to learn to do it effectively. It would change your life. It's vitally important for your own sake that you learn to lead your heart. And that is the goal of this series. So I I did, there are some things I would ask you to do, because I'm putting more work than I normally do into this series. Please listen to the whole thing, if you have any interest in learning to lead your heart, that is. If that's appealing to you, please listen to the whole series. Please listen well. If you miss one, I would go listen to it on our website or on YouTube, take notes, think about it, think through it, think about whether or not what I say is true. Shouldn't trust me on everything. Think about how you can apply it. And make sure you do apply the information you hear. Learning to lead your heart is a big skill and it's made up out of smaller skills, smaller habits and skills. And I've pre-outlined this entire series 
And my goal is to teach all the skills and habits you need to know in order to become a person who's competent at leading their heart. A person who's capable of directing their thoughts, directing their desires, directing their emotions in the direction that you want them to go in. The direction that's honoring to God and best for you. You can't let your emotions and desires control you. You need to lead and direct them. So, in conclusion, today's main point is that, um, so the first habit you have to have, we're going to get into more habits, more skills you have to have in order to be competent at leading your heart. But number one, and the whole point of today's sermon, is to have an attitude of responsibility and intentionality. You need to have an attitude of responsibility and intentionality about leading your heart. That's habit number one you have to have. So I'm going to start giving homework. Um, Your homework for this week, and just to remind you to do it, it's in the outline and the bulletin at the bottom. Spend some time this week thinking about what areas you as an individual need to direct your heart in and what you can do about it. And write down at least three of each. Write down at least three areas you need to direct your heart in and write down at least three things you can do about it. Um, Because I went through this a bit quicker than I expected, I'm going to close in prayer and then we'll have a time of question and answer and then we'll do the communion meditation. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to be together, to gather, to hear your word. We pray that we would want to lead our hearts, Lord. We pray that you would inspire us by your spirit with desire to take control of our lives lives for the sake of submitting them to you, Lord. We pray that we would um, have responsibility, an attitude of responsibility and intentionality about directing our hearts, O Lord. And we pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit to do so. We thank you for your grace and amen.